Thank you for joining us. Good evening. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday for our midweek service. As we continue our series on family discipleship, I want to show you just a few books that have been helpful for this series and that I obviously recommend as a recommend for for parents and families. Again, this is uh, Family Worship by Joel Beakey. I'll leave these books up here, too, if you guys want to take a look at them. Family Worship by Joel Beakey. Family Shepherds by Vody Bauckham. Really good book. Uh, Family Driven Faith by Vody Bauckham. Another really good book. And by John MacArthur, Being a Dad Who Leads. Really good books. If you are interested in checking them out or if you want to borrow one, um, come and talk to me afterwards. Don't take them from me, okay? All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Ephesians six, verses one through four. This is God's word. Give it your full attention. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace and for giving us, Lord, grace to come this morning to hear your word. We pray that you would be glorified and that your people would be strengthened and edified by by your word. Please have your way in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. Well, I was thinking about doing something, and I was conflicted in my mind, decided not to do it after all. Over the past three weeks, we have been laying the foundation for family discipleship in our home. We began with the the biblical calling of male headship in the home. The man has been called to be a type of Adam in the home. He has been charged to to lead his home by the commandment of God to bring God's word to bear in his family. He is called to lead his family with a love that reflects the love of Christ. He's called to lay down his life for his wife and to disciple his children. The woman is called to submit to her husband's leadership. Her submission is a reflection of the church and the church's submission to Christ. So when the wife submits to the husband, she submits to Christ, who calls her to submit to her husband as a reflection of the church, Christ, and ultimately as a reflection picture of the gospel. When a woman submits to her husband, she is submitting to Christ. The woman is to love her husband. Support her husband, encourage her husband's leadership in the home as he seeks to bring the family to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the foundation of what comes next and what we'll be talking about tonight, and that is family worship. Family worship. For many of us, including myself, my wife and I were also having a discussion about this at over dinner. The idea of family worship It's most of us in most of our families and most of our upbringings non-existent. 
Raise your hand if you were not raised with family worship in your home. Yeah. Let's let's try this again so that I can just get a, a really good consensus of that. You were not raised worshiping with your family in your home. That was not you. That's everyone. Do you understand that? I mean, that that is huge. That's every single person in this church. There are some people who didn't raise their hand, but I know that they didn't weren't raised with it either. That's every single person in this church. For myself, family worship meant that the church or the family went to church together. And normally, even that was done in separate cars. For myself, growing up, family worship meant that we go to church together. And that also meant that we probably go in separate cars. As we got to the church, we may have worship and song together, but as soon as songs were over, we all went our separate ways. Or if you're a, a, a younger person who's experienced going to church with your families, you may have experienced driving to, driving to church with your parents or driving in separate cars to go to church. And then as soon as you get there, separating because your own classes have their own music. God's word was preached. The adults had their sermons. The kids had their sermons or something like a sermon mixed with games. And when it was all over, we all got back into our cars and headed home. There may be mention of what we learned in class. Usually not. Usually not. And usually it was assumed by the parents that whatever was taught in the adult uh, worship place was too over the heads of their children. So they wouldn't share it with them anyways. That was family worship, at least for myself growing up. No real talk of God throughout the week. It was almost like each person was responsible for their own relationship with God. And it was assumed that they would be okay. It was assumed that, that everyone's in church and that eventually everyone's going to be okay some way, somehow. God's going to take care of my family. The children, as they grow, grew older, tended to, this is, this is my own experience, as they grew older, tended to drift away from church. Their desire to be in the house of God faded away. And parents were left wondering, what has happened to my kids? They were in youth. They grew up in children's church. What has happened to my kids? And if they didn't drift away from church, they at least stopped going to the church that their parents went to because their friends go to other churches. So they would go to the church that their friends were going to. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'll go to church, but can I go to the church where my friends are at? Why? Because they feel like they have more connections there. Not about God's word and not even especially worshiping with my family at the very bottom of the list. And these are kids who are 16, 15, 17. Who are saying, I want to go worship somewhere else. Not with you. And what's, what's also amazing is that up until that time, they haven't worshipped with their parents anyways. They've just been doing their own thing. So parents, so that some of the parents, uh, you have kids who are still living in your home, but don't go to the same church as you. You have kids who you are still responsible for, 
but don't go and won't go to the same church as you. And they're in your home. You're paying the bills. They're eating your food. It sounds like the kids are training the parents, not the parents are training the kids. It sounds like the parents have been, the kids are now the ones who are ruling the home and the parents are just hoping that there's no fights today. Brothers and sisters, this is not what God has intended for his saints nor is it what God has intended for his saints and how they raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I submit to you on the authority of God's word. This is not what God has intended for their saints, for his saints, nor is it what God has intended for his, the children of his saints. This is not the way that's supposed to be. This is not what it's supposed to be. So if it's not the way it's supposed to be, how is it supposed to be? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's the promise. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. At first glance, it may appear that the Apostle Paul is only speaking to fathers. But the command is directed toward both parents, mother and father. The father is charged with the responsibility of leadership in the home. But the way that you raise your children will first begin with the father to the mother and they together will raise the children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's the command? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, this means that you are to be an evangelist in your home. And that the first people that you are to seek to evangelize is your very own children. You are to be an evangelist in your home. And the very first people that you are to evangelize are your children. Your children must be taught. You are commanded to teach your children that God is holy. And that they are sinners who are alienated from God. They must be taught that the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God. Your children must be taught or you are, you are commanded to teach, you teach your children that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, laid down his life to secure the salvation of those who would forsake their own righteousness and trust in him. Your children must be taught to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Some parents think that telling their kids Jesus is their friend is the right approach and that Everything else, for that matter, should be taken softly toward your, your, your children. You should not have talks with your kids about sin and that they are sinners. That you should be telling your kids that God is, is their friend. How will they know grace and forgiveness unless they know that they violated God's law and that real judgment is the consequence if this is not emphasized to your kids, they will not understand their need for repentance and their desperate need for Christ. It's your responsibility. As parents, we must vigorously, vigorously be committed to the task of evangelizing our children. And let me say to you, this is not the job of the nursery worker. It's not the job of the nursery worker to evangelize your kids. It's not the job of the, the Sunday school teacher, if you will. It's not the job of a youth minister. 
It's not the, the job of the so-called young adult minister to evangelize your children. And thank God. Thank God for those who have dedicated their lives to, to reaching your children. Thank God for them. They have a the true desire to see your kids love Jesus, to serve Jesus. I was one of those teachers. I used to be a youth, a youth pastor, they used to call me. I used to be a young adult director. I did that for years. And yet, what I didn't recognize and what I didn't realize is that I was unwittingly telling parents, I'll take care of your children's spiritual well-being. You just go make sure that you bring them back next week. I'll take care of them spiritually. Or I'll do your job for you. Don't worry about it. I got this. I used to just to, to, to rack my brain trying to think of better ways that I could get to know my youth kids better. I used to rack my brain trying to think of how I could be more involved in the lives of my youth kids. I used to rack my brain trying to think of creative ways that I could reach my kids and have more fun with them. But I have really just come to realize that who knows their kids better than the parents? Who's more involved in those kids' lives than their parents? Who can spend, who, who is available, more available to spend time with those kids than their parents? Parents, your kids are your responsibility. You may want be wondering, why have the kids been sitting in, in the, the youth have been sitting here like every week now? Because that's your job. Your job is to disciple them. Your job is to raise them up. Your job is to teach them God's word. We're not going to shove them off to some other teacher and say it's their responsibility. It's your responsibility. God has called you to the task of raising your kids to fear the Lord, instruct them, to teach them discipline. Amen. Amen. And parents, we are no longer going to take that job away from you. We're giving you that job back. And we're sorry for taking it from you from the beginning. It's your job. It's your job. Well, what will we do with our kids? That's a great question. You'll hear the word of God as it's preached. And then when you drive home, you'll ask them, what did you learn from that? You'll begin to have discussions with your kids about God's word. You'll begin to ask them what they're learning, how they're growing. It's your responsibility. What of those who don't have godly parents? That sounds like a great opportunity for believers to evangelize unbelievers. Doesn't it? That sounds like a great opportunity for us to go to the people who are coming, who are young and saying, I don't have godly parents, for us to go and meet them and share the gospel with them. That sounds like the way it should be. God has given you this most important task of raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You parents have a great, great opportunity. Glorious opportunity. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says this. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. When you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. What is the implication here on how you are to teach your kids all the time, constantly, 
The command is not meant to be understood as every once in a while. It is meant to be understood as constantly. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you arise. Instruction to your children should be constant. We were sitting with our son today, my wife and I, at at dinner. And just talking to him about what he's been learning as we've been doing family worship lately. And then giving him small quizzes. What does holy mean, son? Perfect. And who is perfect, son? God is perfect. Just as we're eating, just as a matter of, of discussion with our kids and we sit around the table with our son. We sit around the table and we ask how our day is going. How was your day, mom? How was your day, son? How was your day, dad? Very simple. But I know that for myself, and we'll get to this in a moment, even dinner was, was made and we would all go our separate ways. Dad goes to the TV. Mom stays in the kitchen. Uh, Brother, my my brother Isaiah, Pastor Zay, as he was a teenager, rarely ate what was cooked at the house. Hamburger and fries from the corner store all the time. Everyone's doing their own thing. It's a shame. We've lost bonds in our families because we even refuse to eat together. Well, we're all on different schedules. Whose fault is that? You're the parents. You're the parents. You decide when we're going to eat and you make sure everyone's at the table. Why not? When you rise, how do you spend time with your kids? Get up. Let's go. Come on. Is there any mention of God? Is there any time, my son and I, every morning when we go to school, every morning, we pray. Every morning, pray that God would watch over him, help him to be a witness. He'll tell you. Help him. And one of the things, because he loves the flash, that he would be strong, that he would be brave, that he would be fast like the flash. (laughs) That he would love God, love his, his neighbors, and be an example. Every morning. Well, I don't have time, but you can, you have time for that. Kids, we're going to, I'm going to pray for you. Throughout the day, how do you witness to your kids? How do you disciple your kids? When you lie down, do you spend time reflecting on your day? On how God has provided for you throughout the day? How God has protected you throughout the day? It's a very simple thing. And brothers and sisters, it only takes a moment. You'll take more moments doing other things than just that few moments with your kids. Embedding that as foundation in your lives and in your families. You have time throughout your day. If you're not instructing them, Nickelodeon will instruct them. And Nickelodeon has become far more secular than you realize. If you don't have time to to instruct them, Disney, Disney will instruct them. And Disney is becoming far more secular than you realize. There are homosexual implications in Disney now on their on their teenage shows. If you don't instruct them, MTV will instruct them. Something else, someone else will instruct them if you do not. So who is having the greater influence on your kids? Your kids. It must be. Must be you. And don't think, well, my kids have already asked Jesus into their heart. Teaching your kids to invite Jesus into their heart, first of all, is not biblical. Second of all, is far removed from what Paul had commanded here in raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Find the place in scripture where the Bible says, accept Jesus into your heart. And then when you fail at that, then come back and let's talk about what it means to repent and place your faith in Christ alone. This command is a steady process of continual discipleship in your home. Not a one shot deal. Sinners that are our children. And how many can attest that our children are sinners? I think they see it. We should see that all the time, right? Our, our children are sinners. Our children will only be saved by the God who gives grace and faith. Our children will not be saved by some kind of prayer or some kind of work. And that includes prayers. It is the God of grace and the God of faith who saves people. So. How will they be saved if they're not confronted with truth? How will they be saved if they are not confronted with truth? How will they have a true, authentic faith to believe if they've been given a shallow gospel, which is no gospel at all? If they're given a shallow gospel, then what exactly have they believed in? You must give them the gospel. Tonight, I'd like to share with you a number of points. What to teach, when to teach, opposition to teaching and motivations for teaching your children. Number one, what to teach. There will be a number of points and it will be side points. Okay, so listen close. There are great tools that can help you that are at your disposal readily online in bookstores. There are a plethora of tools, but the number one tool that you need is right here. God's word. You can use these books that I've suggested to you. These are great. They will help you, but they are all finding their source in this. God's holy word. Someone may say, well, it's easy for you because you're a minister. This comes natural for you. Your family has an advantage. I want to ask you, what is my advantage? Being a minister. What really is my advantage? That that I have a relatively good understanding of God's word. How do you think that came about? I was born with it. I studied I read God's word. If you want to be an effective disciple maker in your family, it's going to take you putting in work. When you stop, they stop. When you stop putting forward motion, forward effort into discipling your family, they go no further than you. They go no further than you. Why? Because you're the head of the home. Just as we pastors in the church, me, Zay and John, if we stop studying... And we decided we're just going to wing it. You have a bunch of unhealthy spiritual Christians here. We must be striving forward. And in many ways, what we do here is a reflection of what you do in your home. As we are consistent and persistent in our studies. So you men should be persistent and consistent in your studies. And and you women as well. And you women as well. Open your Bible. Read your word. Teach your children. Teach them what? Tell them about God. Last night, my wife and I, sitting with our son, we, we, we're still in Genesis, but we shut off all the lights and told our son to close, close his eyes. And we're giving him an example of when God said, let there be light. So all the lights are off. He opens his eyes and he sees nothing. He's beginning to freak out a little bit. And I said, and then God said, we turn on a flashlight, let there be light. And he had a big smile on his face. That's exactly the power of God, son. 
God has the power to bring light out of darkness. See how simple that is? But where does it find its root? In God's word. Tell them about God. Tell them about the six days of creation. The seven day of rest that we still observe today. Teach them the command of God to Adam to fulfill, uh, to fill the earth with his glory. The command uh, to not eat from the tree and the consequences of Adam's disobedience. Teach your kids of the fall of man and the grace of God and the promised seed of the woman. God has given his word to you so that you can instruct your children. So use his word. Here's some very basic things. Teach your children about the holiness of God. My wife and I are teaching our son just the other day about God's holiness. As I said earlier, God is perfect, that he's without sin, that he is the only one who is perfect, the only one who is without, without sin. Leviticus 11.44, 1 Samuel 2.2, 1 Samuel 6.20, Matthew 5.48, 1 Peter 1.15, Hebrews 12.14. Teach your children that God is holy and that he requires holiness in order for anyone to stand in his presence. Teach your children about their sin. Show your kids the fall of man. Show them that in show them Adam's disobedience. Teach them that Adam that Adam stood as our covenant head and that God established a covenant of works with Adam that Adam failed to fulfill. Teach them these things. Tell them that Adam Adam's fall was our fall. Adam's failure was our failure. Tell them that we have fallen short of God's perfect law and that we deserve punishment. Explain to them that. Explain to them what punishment is. Teach them what hell is. That it's eternal. That it's, it's torturous. That it's apart from holy God. Explain to them that their sin and the things that they do are a manifestation of what's in their heart as sinners. Explain to them that no matter how good they are, they can never be good enough to turn away the righteous wrath of God. But don't leave them there. Three, look real quick, tell them how you are a sinner. We were sitting uh, today with my son again, my wife and I. We were explaining to him that he's a sinner. He had a hard time accepting that. (laughs) He did not like that. He tried to refute and rebut uh, us every, every time we said, but son, you're a sinner too. And then we pointed it back at ourselves. And mommy and daddy are sinners. Because of Adam's sin, we are also sinners. Every single person. I started mentioning people that he knows. Tony's a sinner. Auntie Rose is a sinner. Faith and Moses are sinners. Now, Moses is one of his heroes. So, Moses is a sinner? Yes. And Moses is a sinner. Oh. He's beginning to understand now that he is a sinner in Adam. Which leads you to your next point. Teach them. About the perfect work of Christ. Explain to your kids that God himself became a human being. Lived in human flesh. Explain that Christ lived the perfect life. Died the death that we deserved. And so that God accepted his sacrifice by raising Christ from the dead. Just as he promised he would do. Tell your children that Christ ascended to the rightful place of glory. At the right hand of God. And that he now offers forgiveness to those who repent of their sins and believe in Christ. And that should not be a one-time deal. How often have you heard me just, or the things that I just said, the gospel, how often have you heard that said in this church? Do you probably hear it every week? You should hear it every week. So shall it be in your homes. 
they should hear the gospel so often that it's second nature to them. That they know about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the perfect work of Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And they should also know that God calls them and all sinners to repent and believe. Teach your kids to repent and believe. And that's all you can do. The response is up to God, the Holy Spirit. The wind will blow where it wills. But you will establish in them a great foundation of the gospel. That prayerfully they will not stray from when they grow older. That prayerfully they will not stray from. That they will hide all of the things that they were taught as children in their hearts. And they will seek him. That's just the beginning. Teach your children about them to acknowledge God, to love God, to obey God, to, to be watchful. Teach your children to be watchful, to run from temptation, to stand for truth. When it's, even when it's difficult. There's so much to teach your children. But brothers and sisters, teach your children. God has provided for you his mind and his heart in these 66 books. And he's called you to put this into your kids. This into your kids. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? It sounds like what we are hoping youth ministers are doing for our kids. It sounds like what we are hoping nursery workers and children's church workers are doing for our kids or doing for us. Right? All those things, don't they sound great? Like, man, I hope, I hope that our, our teachers are teaching those things. No, you teach those things. You teach those things. Isn't it great to know that your job has been given back to you? She, you didn't get fired up. You didn't get fired as a church member. And you didn't get fired as a parent who disciples your kids either. Praise God for that. You have a privilege of leading your kids and prayerfully leading them to Christ. Leading them to Christ who has entrusted them into your hands for a time. You've got 18 years to work on them. And then it's over. God has given them into your hands and trusted them and his kids into your hands for a time. What will you do with that time? Second point now, how to teach your children. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1 again. Children, obey your parents in the, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That should be your next question. How? I know what, but How? This is much like, again, what you have seen modeled in this church. Your homes become mini churches where you men are the pastor of your home and your wives are the deacons of your home. They are there to come alongside and support. But you together work on disciplining, discipling your children. So here's how. Have your teaching tools available. What are you using? Using the Bible? My wife and I are using a Bible, and we're using the Baptist Confession of Faith or the Catechism that's in this Baptist Confession. Our son is on, chapter, uh, is on uh, question four. We have been reiterating one through three, one through three for the past maybe month and a half, maybe two months. Now he's got those well down, and now he's ready for question four. And I'll say him to them randomly, uh, Nancy, who is the, the, the first cheapest being? God. And it's funny because he kind of assumes that every answer is God now. 
<laughs> just say God, and uh, that's the, usually the right answer, right? Have your teaching tools available. Whatever you're using, have them available. Next, gather where you usually gather. Where is the place that you as a family usually gather? Is it in the kitchen? Then gather there. Is it in the, the living room? Then gather there. Wherever it is that you guys mostly congregate, let that be the place where you meet. Next, I would encourage you. Scripture encourages you. Gather daily. Gather daily. Don't just wait for Sunday. Gather daily. When you, lie, when you rise and when you lie down. The implication from the Bible is that it should be daily. Now, listen, I know that for some of us, we say, gosh, I don't know if I have enough time for that. Well, how much time do you think it takes? My wife and I did it last night. It took about seven minutes. And we spent some time just in God's word, just for a few minutes. The night before, it was 20 minutes. It varies. But you have to set the precedent that this is what we do as a family. When I was younger, uh, again, we would all meet and go separate ways. Change that. You can be the generation that changes that. You can be the generation that changes that. Gather for family worship. Gather daily if possible. And you shouldn't think of that as being burdensome. You should think of that as being a great opportunity. Wake up your children. Pray with them when you wake up with them. Tell them about the goodness of God, that God woke them up. When they lie down, pray with them again. Tell them about the goodness of God, that he gives, he gives rest to us after a long day. If it's possible that you can only gather once, then make it a time when you are all together and settled. Have all your tools. Be prepared to focus. Be consistent with that time. Whatever it is. Next one. How long? Depends. It, it depends on the age of your children. Our son is four. He can sit for a relatively long time. He's, he's very disciplined in that sense. For some of your kids who are young, they may not be used to it. They may be thinking, what in the world is mom and dad doing right now? But if you don't start somewhere, you're never going to get started. They'll get used to the fact that we're all sitting. This is now normal. We sit together. Mom and dad have just started something new. We're sitting together. And they'll get used to the fact that well, we're going to be sitting here for a minute. Mom and dad, don't let them squirm. Make them sit down. No, you sit down. Our son will try to flop back. You sit up and pay attention. He'll try to start grabbing his feet. No, son, that's not what we do when we're sitting around God's word. What are you doing? You're preparing them for this. So that when they're sitting in here, they're not taking a nap. When they're sitting in here, they're not stretching out and saying, ah, oh, you, you begin how they worship in here by how you teach them at home. God's word is being taught. Sit up. God's word is being taught. Pay attention. Teach them to honor and reverence God's word. You do that. Or else when there's a pastor like me in here who might just might say, uh, sit up. And if you know me, don't put that past me because I will. You teach that in the home. You teach that in the home. How to begin? Begin with five minutes. If you can do five. Begin with five minutes, but start somewhere and then build up from there. It's your responsibility. Next, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. 
Ask God's blessing over your ears as his word goes forth. Ask God's blessing over your eyes as you look upon his word. Make it if you have little ones and especially if you're just starting it, make the prayer simple. Make the prayer simple. I was talking to my wife today. We were talking about how our prayers for our son as we pray are very simple. But as he grows, so the prayers will become more mature. And he prays for us. And when he prays, because we've modeled for him how to pray, how does he begin? God, we come before you in Jesus' name. Where do you learn that from? From mommy and daddy praying. From mommy and daddy praying. He's being discipled by watching us model for him how we pray. Do you see that? Some of you in here, when you pray, you pray like your elders. Why? Because you have modeled for you how to pray. Some of you have some of our quirks because you've been watching us. So it is with your kids. So it is with your kids. Begin with, your, with prayer. Secondly, or next, read your text. Read it aloud and let your kids see what you're reading as well. Let them all have a Bible. Your wife have a Bible. You have a Bible. They have a Bible. Let them all see God's word. Our son just learned his first word. I think he already knew his name. He could recognize his name. But he, he recognized now his first word, which is God. And now he's going all throughout Genesis and saying, there's God, there's God, there's God. All throughout the book. Teach them to see God's word and to recognize that. That's a great thing. Let me say as a side note. Do you know where public school began? It began in, in church. How? There were kids who could not go to school throughout the week. And the church began to recognize that there were uneducated kids running around in, New, in England. So what did they do? They started to educate the kids by having what's called Sunday school. And the text that they would use to teach the kids how to read was the Bible. What did that turn into? Youth group. Youth ministry. But it wasn't what it was intended for. Even kids were taught at home. Unless you were especially privileged to go sent, to be sent to college like a John Calvin or Martin Luther. So, read the text. Explain the text. Here's the next point. Explain the text. As you read it, explain to them what God has just said in his word. And here's another thing. Ask them if they understand. My son, my daughter, do you understand this? Do you understand what we just read? Let them explain what they think it means. That's a good try, son. That's very good. You're right. Next, be pure in doctrine. Be pure in doctrine. Make sure that you're teaching your children right doctrine. Don't abandon doctrine when you're teaching your children. Aim for simplicity, but also aim for purity and clarity. This is what the Bible teaches. Amen. Encourage your kids. Next point. Encourage participation. Encourage them. Ask them to read. Ask them if they understand. Gently correct them if they're wrong in their thoughts. Encourage them if they're right in their thoughts. This is good. And you know what this also does? It opens up lines of communication between you and your kids. Amen. How many of you can sit here and say, me and my parents never really had talks. We never really talked. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable talking. Yeah. A lot of us. And you sitting around God's word and you saying, tell me what you think. And being quiet and listening to them, what does that encourage? It encourages them to, to, to understand, mommy and daddy, listen to me. 
And also, when you correct them, let's next go to our next point. Be affectionate. Be affectionate. My wife and I bring our son near when we're doing this family worship. I'll sit him on my lap. I'll teach him. I'll show him affection as I teach him, as we teach him. Why? So that when Nazareth thinks of God, he hearkens back to being on mommy and daddy's lap, affectionately held, affectionately loved as God's word was being taught. That's important. Do you want your kids to associate God with harshness? No. You want your kids to associate God when God's word is being taught with love and compassion and patience. J.C. Ryle said love is one grand successful way of training. Love is one grand successful way of training. Next, require their attention. Require again. Require their attention. Make them pay attention. You're the leader. But also, don't go too long. Don't be too long-winded. They're kids. Naturally, they're going to have wiggles. So be aware of how long you're going. Just like when I preach here. If it's 8.45, I've gone too long. If I start to see people wiggle and shake, I need to be sensitive to that. Maybe I'm going a little bit too long. That's, that's a mark of a good speaker who can recognize his congregation, his, his audience, and say, time to wrap it up. Here's another one. And in this process, don't provoke your kids to anger. That does not mean that you give them their way. And that's one of the things that parents need to learn. When your kids buck and they, they, they stretch and they want to get out, no, you make them sit. Because then you're giving them their way and you're teaching them to be spoiled, unsettled children. No, you sit there and you learn what it means to be disciplined. But also, don't be overly stern with them. Overly stern is going to help them or make them be provoked to anger. Treating them like they are inmates rather than children is going to provoke them to anger. Be careful not to overly show your authority without overly showing your love. There's the balance there. You can provoke your kid to anger by favoring one child over the other and pointing out flaws constantly in one of the children. And constantly praising one of the other children. You will provoke your kids to wrath. You will provoke your kids to anger. And you will provoke them against one another as well. You could provoke your kids to anger by setting unrealistic goals for your kids. And this would be making your children feel like you're never happy with them. Like they can never do anything right or never do anything good. Or that you never tell them that you're proud of them. Oh, parents. Don't hold back your praise to your kids. Well, that'll make them think that everything's okay and they won't be satisfied. No, 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 no. It will make them feel like they are loved. It will make them feel like you care about them. You can push them. But along the way, let one of the, the celebrations be you're telling them great job. I know that my father loved me. I know that my father had great affection for me. But he rarely told me. He told everybody else. And I'm a witness to that. I, I can go to prisons and they would say, man, your daddy talks about you all the time. I said, for real? He never tells me anything. Even after preaching, thought I did a good job. 
Very rarely can I remember that was good, son. And that's all I needed to hear. Your kids need to hear, good job. Good job, son. Good job, daughter. Very good. I'm proud of you. If they got a C, that's good. You can do better, though, okay? You can do better. They got an F, well, we got something to talk about, right? I know you're better than that, right? You can also spoil your kids, spoil your kids by, or provoking your kids by giving them everything that they want, by spoiling them. By not giving them responsibilities, by you being the one to pick up after them all the time and not saying, no, it's your, your stuff. You pick it up and you put it away. That helps them to grow. That helps them to be mature. You can provoke your kids to anger by not being a parent who listens to your child. When they have their own thoughts, invite their thoughts, invite their thoughts. You can provoke your kids to anger by being a parent who doesn't acknowledge that you're wrong. That you've made a mistake. That you've sinned and that you need their forgiveness and that you need God's forgiveness. You show them the gospel when you do that. If you're a parent who's never wrong and your kids know that you're wrong, oh, you will provoke them to anger. I promise you. Even if you go home tonight or tomorrow and you say, okay, we're going to do family worship. And you haven't acknowledged that. You know what? I want to acknowledge to you guys I'm wrong because we haven't been doing it. And that's my responsibility. I am really sorry. I was telling my wife, if I was a teenager or a young person, and I know as I'm sitting in here that my parents aren't doing this and that they need to do that. And then all of a sudden, mom or dad decides we're doing this tomorrow and we do it and we sit there and they just go right into it without acknowledging that they haven't done it. I'd be disappointed in mom and dad that they wouldn't just say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I would have so much respect for them, though, if they said, I'm sorry for not doing this. I'm sorry for that. And that comes from a person who rarely heard his dad say, I'm sorry. Rarely. Even, and, and my mom would make me say, just go, let's just have peace in the home. Just go tell him you're sorry. And I would say, I didn't do nothing. I didn't do anything. Why do I have to go say sorry? I didn't do anything. Son, I just want peace in my home. Well, then you go tell him to make peace, right? But I would eventually give. I would eventually give and then everything would be cool. And I would go into my room and say, that did not make any sense at all. Why did I have to be the one to do that? When you're wrong, admit it. Your, your kids will respect you so much more. They will respect you so much more. You can provoke your kids to, you can provoke your kids to anger by not trusting them to grow up. By not allowing them to grow up and trusting them to do certain things, knowing that you've raised them right. They're going to make mistakes. How many did you make? They're going to make mistakes. And that's me. I am so protective over my son. My wife is the one, yeah, let him jump in the mud. And I'm very protective of my son. My wife is more let him grow up. Let him grow up. Let him be a boy, a big boy. No, I'll put him back in his high chair. <laughs> you could also provoke your kids to anger by neglecting them. By not giving them the time of day. Just because you're in the same home doesn't mean that you are giving them any attention. <clears throat> How? 
when you are done, pray. Pray. And my wife and I have done this really fun thing. I think it's been good. I pray for my wife. She prays for our son. And he prays for me. It's beautiful. It'll, it'll change, I'm sure, as we grow. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be a tradition that, that as our next one uh, is born, that maybe it's a tradition that stays that way and how beautiful that would be. But be short with your prayers. Be simple. Don't be shallow. But be direct. Be natural. Don't preach when you pray. You ever heard of a preach pray? God, we come before you in Jesus. And just like, oh, you are doing way too much. Right? Don't do that. Just pray to the Lord. Sing. After you're done praying, sing. Sing a hymn. Now, someone may say, well, we're not gifted like your wife. You may be embarrassed to sing as you're teaching your children. Especially if you're not gifted to, to sing and they're not gifted to sing. You've got all this chaos of, of sounds in your home, right? But are only those who can sing to God those who can hold the tune? Not at all. Sing. Sing songs that are doctrinally, doctrinally pure. Sing together. Sing simple songs. Sing with all your heart. There's a simple song called the doxology. You ever heard of that? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all ye creatures here below. Praise him above all ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Very simple. Simple. But very doctrinal, doctrinally pure. And then, let's go to the next point. Three. Here, here's, here's, what at stake. here's what's at stake. If you fail to teach your kids, if you fail to teach your kids, they will grow up like many of you who went through hardship and struggles as you grew up without believing parents who did not practice these things in your families. They will grow up without a foundational understanding of God, His holiness, their sin, Christ, repentance, faith, the great story of redemption, the coming of Christ. They will grow up without all of those things. Those things that you hold dear to now, they will grow up without all of those things if you do not do something now. You. Now, they may hear it through a pastor or an elder, but it's reinforced when you go home. It doesn't just become ritualistic to them when they come. It becomes life to them. You hear that? It's not just, we go Sunday. It actually becomes a part of your everyday life. It's who your family is. It's who you are. And guess what? That will go with them when they go into their public schools. That will go with them when they meet people. This foundation of what you're setting in their lives will go with them. And they will have a worldview that's been established by their parents through the word of God. And who knows? God may save them if he so pleases. And keep them in this church. Or keep them in a God-preaching or God-glorifying Bible-preaching church. You get to set the foundation in their lives. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't you love for them to avoid some of the dead ends that you went through or the dead ends that you met? Wouldn't you love that? Sure you would. Wouldn't you want them to know Christ and to be a witness for him now rather than later around your age? You can start that now. What's the motivation? This is our last point. 
God's command is our motivation. This is what God commands. Do you need any more, more motivation? God has commanded this. So let us obey. What else is that state? Or what else is the motivation? The spiritual and emotional health, health of your children. Your kids. And your wives. And your own health is at stake. Fathers, when you are studying to prepare for your kids, you in turn also grow. Your wife grows. Your kids grow. Everyone benefits from this. What else is the motivation? Satisfaction of a good conscience. Ask those who didn't do that for their kids who are grown and out of their house. Ask them if they wish they could get that time back. They would say a million times yes. And they live now trying to catch up. Every time having conversations with their sons or daughters, just trying to catch up for what they didn't do when they were younger. Wouldn't you rather be happy in knowing that you obeyed, that you did your job? God's job is to bring them to himself, but you did the job that he called you to do in raising them in discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is our motivation? God's glory. That God is glorified. This is what brings God glory, so do it. Because God is glorified in it. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. Later on or, or earlier in that, in that. Earlier in the Old Testament. You have God saying keep them. These words at, the, at, in your, at your forehead. On your hand. Bind them around your heart. This is God's word. This is what he's commanded and this is what brings him glory. So let's obey it. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have graciously given us, Lord, the instruction from your word. Now give us the grace and the strength to obey.